Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. I'm proud American because the U.S. beat Argentina 7-0. Oh, to zero. Literally three seconds in, man. It wasn't seven, it was six. What, did they take a goal back? It was six. It was six. It, yeah, it was six zero. Seven yeah, zero. It was, it was six zero. Don't don't try to don't try to make them more goals. <laughs> that goal differential matters. We couldn't even make it three seconds before. And not only that, Chad called me last night and was like, "Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, Argentina lost." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know." Like he's like, "Oh, we should have been. Me and Duane should have been texting you from the entire <laughs> the entire game, and we didn't." And I'm like, "Why? Like, <laughs> like you're gonna tell me something I don't know?" Um, oh man, I'm surprised. They're the, he's the only one I'm surprised under the girls were blowing you up because we had a good laugh about that. No, I'm last sure. night. Listen, I was the first one to admit. I was texting my dad. I was, you know, I told him I was like, I was the first one to admit the fact that Argentina just looked physically unable to keep up. Uh, it, it had nothing to do with the technical or tactical. It was just physically unable to keep up with the U.S. Not let alone the the rest of it as well, but just from a physical standpoint, just completely slow and unable to keep up. I mean, okay. it happens. It happens. It Guys, happens. I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah. So, but anyways, we're going to move on from the She Believes Cup already because uh, so the U.S. wins the She Believes Cup. Woo. Everybody's happy. Uh, <laughs> um, so that that knocks out one of the topics off the checklist. Um, uh, Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Um, Delaware and Diamonds info session. Yeah, looking forward to it. I'm looking um, forward to it. it it's going to be so much fun. Um, we uh, we're we're not going to announce it, but we are going to basically drop a hint and have a feeling that this person will come on on the podcast next Friday, which will be even will be really cool. But we're adding a new coach into the Delaware Union Diamonds coaching staff um, with myself and Duane. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that next, next week, but just to kind of give all of you a little preview of it, we have a new coach who is going to be awesome at our club and in general with the Delaware and diamonds. So we're really excited for that part of it. Um, so Sunday, six o'clock, um, info session, there's still time to, there's still time to register. Uh, if you need more information, visit www.delawareunion.com. Under the representative tab, there's the you under 23 um, page. If or you can always check out facebook.com slash Delaware Union on Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer or on Twitter at DE Union Soccer or uh, DE Union Diamonds on Facebook and Instagram. So we're everywhere, we are everywhere. Uh, and we are really excited. I even did an Instagram story today where there was a countdown. It's the first time I've done a countdown on an Instagram story. Um, so I'm, I'm social media. I'm social trying. Media I, I, listen, until we can get a social media intern to come in and, and do it, the marketing analytics department is uh, is is it's slow on on manpower. So if we uh, get a social media intern, they're gonna blow everything we've ever done out of the water oh for sure for sure i every time i'm able to put some sort of like gif or something like that i'm like amazed at myself that i was able to do it Uh, honestly it's a gift to have honestly no no joke 
uh i have i like end up watching the same like story a bunch of different times just because i'm just like oh my god this is so cool <laughs> um it, it, it makes me feel old afterwards doing uh do you ever feel like you would want to write a letter at some point to a former coach you've had absolutely i mean considering considering one of your former coaches is one of the coaches they actually coach with now would that would be an interesting scenario yeah, that would be interesting. I don't think he would be the coach I'd write a letter to, though. <laughs> um, yeah, probably not. But uh, with us today on the podcast, uh, we have somebody that took a collection of all those letters and actually wrote a book about it. So with us today, we have Dr. Sarah Erdner. She's the author of Dear Coach, What I Wish I Could Have Told You, Letters from Your Athletes. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Um, so tell us, tell us about your coach, uh, about your, about your book, the year coach. <laughs> tell, tell you about my coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can get to that just, later, but let's just really get into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So dear coach, again, like you said, a collection of letters. So they're written by athletes to their coach, um, what they wish they could have told them, but for whatever reason they never did. And the, it's a large collection. So professional athletes, Olympic athletes, collegiate athletes, uh, a lot of athletes that maybe are retired that wrote letters uh, retrospectively to coaches, maybe even at the youth level. Um, and there are there are good letters in the book. Um, my bias was that I was only going to receive not so great letters, but I actually started receiving a lot of thank you letters, which was very interesting to me because in my head, I thought, well, why wouldn't this book is about what you wish you could have said, but never did. So why am I receiving thank you letters? Cause I would have said these things to my coach. Uh, and then part two is the not so great letters. Um, very uh, constructive criticism. And I made sure, you know, I'm an assistant professor of coaching. I teach methods of coaching classes. I wanted the book to be very uh, informative to coaches in nature. So less of a, let me call you out and point my finger and say, shame on you. But rather, let me say, hey, I didn't like that you did this. This is what I wish you did instead. So I really want to call coaches in. So I coached some of the athletes because I will say when I got some of the raw letters at first, they were very like, screw you. This is what you did. This is why I hate you. Um, And I validated that experience for them. I was like, I can only imagine what that was like for you. And can we let's let's remember the audience here. These are coaches. This book is meant to be educational in, in nature. So let's stick with your truth and let's expand upon that. What would you have rather have had instead? So both the thank you letters, uh, I also coach them to give more detail as well. Hey, can you give us an example here of what this looks like? So that way when coaches dig in, they can really be able to paint a picture. Uh, And then I end the book in part three with some of my quote unquote truths with a lowercase T because I don't think that uh, my thoughts are all consuming that they're the large T truth and that we have to go in this direction or else, but rather, Hey, these are some points that if we were all at a table, I would bring to the conversation on things that I think we need to champion. Um, and so, yeah, the, it really, it was a two and a half year process that essentially started out. Uh, there was a lot of coaching from my editor on how to write a provocative book like this in a way to call people into the narrative uh, and I'll be honest with you, when I first started it, I was, I struggled with that a lot. Uh, but Amanda Rooker did such a great job of saying, Hey, I, I see the narrative you're trying to say, let's, let's say it in this way so that we can start a conversation instead of uh, calling coaches out. So 
I say that the the way the book reads, the title of it at least, can come off as like, hey, dear coach, what I wish I could have told you letters from your athletes. And for some coaches, that could be triggering of like, oh, gosh, I don't want to open this book because I think athletes are just going to yell at me. Yep. When in reality, uh, that's not the case at all. And I, you know, I hope the more coaches that have been reading it realize like, wow, this is actually, this book was written to give athletes a platform, but this book is also to advocate for coaches because I think we do a really lousy job in coaching education um, at advocating, getting resource for coaches to help you all out. Well, no, I, I agree with you. And I, I, so I have, I have a copy of the book. Um, my wife, uh, who you had, you had met at the university of Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, bought me the book and I think in your first pre-order or your first pre-release. And so I, I have it and I was able to, I've, I've gone through a bunch of the different letters, um, kind of jumping back and forth. I re I've reread a couple of them as well. And, and you're right. When I first, when I first looked at it, I was like, Oh boy, like, I hope I don't see myself in one of these negative letters. Like, like as, and, and not because I think I would, but it's just almost that scary feeling of like, what if something I thought I was doing right was probably was was not interpreted this that way, right? Not not that, so that that became a very difficult thing at first. But when I was, as I got through it, or as I went through the different letters, some things that definitely stood out to me that, um, yeah, I think you're right. The, the hard part is when you're when when the original thought process to to get get these letters in, you weren't expecting to get so many positive ones. Um, and I think that's that's part of it, right? I, I've had a lot of coaches or a lot of players and doing the same at that times end up leaving or or you know, age out, they graduate or whatever, and then you never really get to have a connection with that player. You never know if you had a positive or a negative impact because very little feedback happens ultimately. They're like, All right, thanks for coaching us, and like high five and off off they go. And they sell them to the sunset. Um, you know, for me, one of the things that stood out, there was a letter. Um, I think it's letter 14. It's in the second half of the book um, or part two. And, and one of the, one of the writers writes in the letter, um, a coach is defined as an athletic instructor or trainer. And I, wrote, and I wrote this down because I thought that resonated with me that at times there are people that, that take the true definition from the dictionary of coach. Um, and in that specific letter, they viewed a coach as something completely different um, or something more and I think at times the word coach is, 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 is not something – everybody has a different de- definition for it, right? Um, so can you talk a little bit about the idea of coaching education and how that relates to this part of it? Because to me, that's where, at least from a soccer standpoint, that's where a big fault comes in. We talk about that there's four pillars of the game in soccer, uh, technical, tactical, physical, and psychosocial, and everybody – in a room agrees that the psychosocial is the most important one, but that's the one that we spend the least amount of time on. Oh um, my gosh, yes, for sure. I, and I want to make one point before going into that, because yeah. you bring up such a great point about the definition of what it means to be a coach. And so the, the root word of coach actually comes from a Hungarian term called Kotsi. And Kotsi basically means uh, a coach is a, a person that basically carries people over difficult terrain. And in, in, I feel, I see you all shaking your head. I feel like the audience that's going to listen to this, they're like, yes, that, Uh, that's what I do. And you wear so many hats because of that. Uh, You never know what the terrain is going to look like on a certain day. And nobody's really taught you about those different terrains and how to navigate them. So you're just doing the best you got with what you have. And you often coach the way that you were coached because you weren't really taught. You never 
there is no formal education in place right now to teach you otherwise. And so your mirror neurons that we have in our brain, which is what we mimic this behavior of we coach how we were coached. And right now uh, we, we unfortunately kind of live in a time where there's no, you know, coaches are hired, retained and fired based on win losses. And that's it. There's no other concept of infusing diversity, equity, inclusion into the conversation. How are we making athletes culturally feel safe in a space when we have social uh, unrest going on in the world uh, so that when an athlete walks in, I've had a lot of athletes, some of a mental performance consultant as well. And I, so I work with athletes. Actually, I, I work with a large population of soccer players too, which is, uh, I've learned so much about soccer through, through them. Uh, they'll come in and a lot of their, when we're working one-on-one, their issues of anxiety and focus and confidence issues are because of their relationship with the coach. Um, and so really what I give them is a lot of band-aid stuff like, well, Hey, like you can control the controllables. You can only control this much. And that's where I came in where, and, and one of the things I talk about in the book is how we have done a really lousy job ourselves, uh, within like scholarly work. Um, to bridge that gap of advocating for coaches. So, and one of the things in coaching education that I think is really important uh, for different NGBs, different organizations to start actually, we oftentimes put a lot of our money to the athletes for their mental health, their mental performance, because they're the money makers, quote unquote. Right. When in reality, because of these mirror neurons, the neuroscience behind why coaches matter is that we mimic. So if we're the coach, athletes are around coaches a lot. Practices are long. You're spending so much time with them week by week within a season, you're going to end up mimicking the behavior of your coach that you're around, especially that authority figure, because you want to feel a sense of belonging. You want that play time. So we need to actually have a paradigm shift, not necessarily taking away resources from athletes, but we really need to start talking about how important those same resources are for coaches, coaches, mental health, coaches, mental performance, so there's one letter, the, the first letter, uh, letter number one, where an athlete says, I was able to be calm, relaxed, and collected because I saw you calm and co- relaxed and collected on the sidelines. Yep. Um, and so that's not necessarily telling coaches like, hey, you need to completely change who you are because you have your own individualized zone of optimal functioning and how, you know, right? We have those coaches like I probably would be very passionate on the sidelines, Uh but at the same time, if we can teach coaches about mental performance to also destigmatize mental health as well, there's a couple athletes that talk about that trickle down effect. You have a coach that's dealing with burnout, they're stressed, they got stuff going on at home. Essentially, their mental health is fault is uh, in jeopardy. That energy is going to trickle down and influence the athletes. And but right now, we only have resources that are saying, "Hey, athletes, we only care about your mental health, your mental performance." But getting campaigns together, getting money together that supports coaches uh, in their own mental health is just one one area in which I think we can start doing a better job at educating coaches, not just about how they can do better for the athletes, but how they can do better for themselves. Well, and I think that's that's a strong it's a strong statement because we and, and we've seen it all the time in the soccer world where there's there's ultimately a time where. Um, like if you if you were to follow the U.S. soccer, for example, U.S. soccer coaching licenses, there there is a there is only so much you can do, right? So at a certain point, you can get your A license and then you're done. And 
the 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 tricky part at least for me is that you can get your a license 10 years ago and you basically at that point you're like all right i've i've, I've i'm done like as a coach i've gotten everything i can possibly get so for the next 10 years i am no longer going to uh care about my coaching education whatsoever um so that that idea of continuing education or professional development becomes difficult um the other part i think about at times is and this is i think a society thing and it's not just this country i think it's all over the place uh you know two things one i read a book um about a a, a youth director in an academy in in south america uh who's very famous for having found a lot of players that became professional players and, and one of the first things he talks about is he goes i don't consider myself the word coach um it, it doesn't necessarily resonate with me because i'm not a coach uh i'm a developer ultimately like i develop I develop young athletes. Um, so, and that that's resonated with me a lot, but I think this other part of it is we all agree and we all see, and you can see it in your book, the long-term effects, positive and at times negative that a coach can have on a, on a student athlete, just as similar, just as a, as a teacher at any level of the game. Yet we don't ever go through the same amount of training that a teacher would, right? In order for you to be a college coach, you don't, and there's a lot of really good coach college coaches out there. And there's a lot of, I have a lot of really good friends that are some of the best people that I know that are fantastic coaches. But the reality of it is, is that, yeah, you now, it is now needed for you to have at least a bachelor's degree to be a college coach. Um, doesn't necessarily specify exactly in what, right. But for you to be a professor at a college, you usually need to have some sort of a PhD or terminal degree. So, those to me never really, those things are so difficult at times to put together. Um, now, as far as I know, at least from a soccer perspective, there's only one master's in soccer coaching degree um, that's offered, at least in this country. And that's pretty much it. That does an actual like um, institution, institutional degree. So do you think at some point we are going to get to a point where the, the, the coaching education piece does change. Do you think it's heading in that direction? Is it changing at least in the professional or the Olympic sports? Um, I know Colorado, and this that's where you're, you're living, Colorado. Uh, Colorado is, you know, that's where the Olympic uh, Development Center is, is, is held or one of them. Um, you know, and there's a lot of resources that are put into the Olympic side of things. Is that changing at least from that perspective, do you think? Yeah, I actually just got put on. So we have something called the USCCE, the United States Center for Coaching Excellence. Um, I just got put on the professionalization of sport coaching committee to start having these conversations. And the issue that we have, we're running into right now is, is nationally, there is, there's no one reigning governing body that every coach has to go through, right? Like, cause you have the, the A certification, right? That you get through us soccer um, but that's going to look different. That's not going to have at least like core curriculum in it uh, that maybe US, USA Volleyball or rugby are going to have. And so there's not that uh, everybody's getting the same education across the board. And then maybe you do have some uh, electives, if you will, based on the system of school. Um, I think going back to your comment about how, you know, here I have a PhD and I had to have this this degree in order to teach college age students, you know, I, I do a demonstration in my, my methods of coaching class that always freaks the students out when I do teach face to face. Uh, 
where I walk in and we're, we often talk about coach abuse. And I always have students in the back of the class that challenge me. They're like, well, I need the coach to get in my face and yell and scream and throw things. Like it <laughs> motivates me, uh, which is such a great example of how we've made sport makes people immune to abuse. So we have people that go around and think that they need abuse in order to be motivated, which is really sad to see. But I always, the moment, there's always a student that does it. And it's my cue, my performative cue to start. I start flipping tables. I get red faced. I start yelling in students' faces saying F you for not making an A on this assignment. Like you should know better. I gave you the instruction you needed. Basically acting like a coach would in some situations, throwing textbooks up against the whiteboard and everybody freezes, everybody's wide-eyed. Um, and my whole point is that if I walked into this room and I did this even just once or a couple times or every, every time we walked in here, I would be fired if not by the end of the week, by the end of the semester. Yep. Because we, that is not accepted in this space. But yet we allow coaches to do that. And we think that because we've, it's, it's been this long generational cycle of making people immune to abuse and nobody's challenging it because it's this mega monster. So I wanted to paint that picture of like, why, why, like the students are like, oh my gosh, because me abusing the students in the class like that, which I always apologize profusely. And then I call our director of counseling after I let them know I can connect them if it was triggering. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I needed to get this point across because you do not deserve what I just did to you. And oftentimes I start crying because I feel so bad because it could trigger one of them. Uh, and I say, but why, so why are we allowing that in sport? Like th this doesn't change, right? Like all of a sudden the context changes and we think it's okay. So coming back to coaching education, uh, you know, I teach, I'm a coordinator for our masters of coaching online degree here at Adam state university. And that there has been a spike in there being more master online coaching programs, master's level, because there is being a trend of people being like, Oh, I'm going to need to set myself apart beyond a bachelor's get that master's degree. Yeah. And with it being on time, you can be a full-time uh, coach. Most coaching programs similar to ours are you can enroll in different semesters. So it's not just a false start. Cause especially if you have football coaches uh, that are like, Oh, you know, I, the season starts in the fall. I don't want to start a degree at the same time that I'm also trying to yeah. uh, do a lot of work. So there has been an upward trend. The issue is that there's no, there's nothing mandating it and we're making curriculum look the same across the board. Um, and so that's, that's extremely important to consider as well um, is what, what does that look like to make sure that everybody's kind of getting the same pedagogy, uh, but also having some electives that they can do on the side. That's a good point. And, and uh, so I thought came to my head of when you were talking about, um, you know, why, why do we accept it in sports? You know, the, the idea of the abuse. So two things came in one. Um, I was trying to like quickly go through my head of like, all right, what's the sport that, that has zero amount of like yelling or, or, and I, and I immediately went to curling um because curling is one of my favorite sports of all time i know it sounds weird um but i absolutely love curling but it's i feel like it's such a like uh calm 
uh, sport that I feel like nothing ever really happens or or yell. Nobody yells. So um, I feel like they do yell, but I feel like it's in different languages. Well, and- no, they're yelling to sweep. They're yelling to sweep harder or sweep softer. So, but now, but like, there's no one. Like, no one's getting in somebody's face. I mean, it's such a it's such a pretty straightforward sport. It's either in or it's out. Like, it, it doesn't. It, it, you know, the rock is either in or it's out. There's there is no middle ground to it. There is no like referee decision or something like that. The other thought I had was when you were talking about the abuse and I see this um, watching South American soccer all the time, how, and, and even, even now I feel like there's a trend too in, in American sports where, in, I mean, it, the upside, the, you know, the upside to technology is that it's, it makes it everything accessible. The downside to a certain extent, or also upside, it's revealing of a lot of things that happen. Right. So, having HD 4k cameras and all these other things allows you to read lips really quickly. Uh, so you can see the kind of wording or the kind of language that gets used in sports in, in at least from a South American perspective where cursing to a certain extent is, is acceptable at times in certain places. So the idea of cursing at a referee becomes ex- acceptable. So then when, when a referee throws a player out for cursing at him, Everybody freaks out and goes, well, I didn't say anything to you. Well, no, you you did. Uh, you cursed him out and used some bad words against his mother too, but you're okay with it because it's a, it's the acceptable social norm, right? In that moment, in that place, it's okay for me to yell at you, right? It's okay for me to throw things from the stand. It's okay for me to verbally abuse you. And when I get upset, and I think the hard part, especially in a professional standpoint, and we've seen it in all over the all over the place, the worst thing that'll ever happen is you get thrown out of that game. Maybe you'll get a one match suspension. And then two weeks later, you're back on. No problem. Right? Like, it, it, again, you said it, right? If you did that, if you walked into your, your college classroom and you started flipping tables, you're only going to do that once. After that, again, good luck getting a job somewhere else, right? Like, right. But, but no, not, not like worst case scenario in a soccer world, you get, at least in the professional standpoint, you get fired, and guess what? Someone else is going to pick you up. Yep. If, if nothing else, for the publicity of it, right? Like it's the like, oh, we get the angry coach, right? Like it's great. Like we can sell so many jerseys because we have the angry coach. So I look at it from like an American football standpoint. Like Tony Dungy was a coach that was notorious for not cursing in his locker room, and that's so against the American football norm. You know, it's all rah rah. You know, go ahead, him curse in the locker room, get hyped up. And he was able to get the same results or also be successful and gain the respect of his locker room. And I guess, you know, you take this example of like the letters to the coach, you know, you have guys speaking out, you know, 10 years later and saying, well, you know, when we were in Indianapolis, you know, we were under coach Dungy, you know, there's, it was a different culture and a different level of respect there. And that's why they feel like they were successful. I think it all comes down to, you know, knowing your players, knowing how to get them prepared knowing what motivates them, knowing how to have conversations with them. You know, I have a player that, you know, if I get, I have to catch myself. If I start to yell, you know, he shuts down immediately. Right. And it's because Danny and I, coach Dan and I had that talk with him. We realized, you know, me going in there full throttle, yelling, screaming, acting like a crazy man, shuts him down. Right. So you've got to understand your players 
you got to understand what motivates them. You got to understand how to talk to them, right? You almost have to have like five different alter egos going on to talk to different mm-hmm. players. Like some players may need the rah rah speech. You may have to yell at them to get them motivated. Some players you may just need to leave alone. For sure. Well, you bring up such a good point. So it's something that we talk about is a ch- uh, 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 achievement motivation theory, which is there's two different ways to coach. One is you fear failure. So you're teaching when you go in and yell, yell at an athlete. Um, gosh, my Southern accent just came out when I said, <laughs> uh, when you go in and yell, uh, when you go in and yell at an athlete, when you uh, are really making them like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to be punished. We're going to do all this. You're teaching them to have this sense of fear of failure. And so what they do is you have groomed them to perform in such a way to try to avoid making you mad. So all of their energy is actually being their focused energy is going toward trying not to make the coach mad so that they don't get yelled at at the end of the game or during a game or humiliated or embarrassed. And so really what that does is it leads to behavior that makes them less risky on the field, that risky creative behavior that you need in order to play a really good game. And so Tony Dungy going in and not cussing, right? Like when you said he got the same, if not more out of his players by not doing that. A lot of what we see in how he coached is that he built opposite of this fear of failure, but taught athletes how to approach success by creating a safe environment, a very unconditional positive regard environment, which is I'm right. Like you've been training for this. We've put in this many hours. I believe in you. And so the athletes show up in that setting saying like, I'm ready to write like with, with Dungy in my corner and all of my, my teammates that have put it in this, I'm ready to approach success. And so when you're putting all your energy toward approaching that, uh, that feeling of success, the pride that you're going to get and be successful in knowing that you're not going to get ripped to shreds after a game, if, if you don't play well, you actually, it leads to behaviors of you taking more risk, being more creative, which increases your performance on the field gets that performance that we actually desire in sport. Um, so it's so interesting because we've bought into this narrative of like, oh, we need coaches to yell at us. Coaches think they need to yell at athletes. When in reality, that's building a very extrinsic, extrinsically motivated athlete. Those that are literally just trying to, they're playing so that their coach will like them and not abuse them. Instead of building intrinsically motivated athletes, which is, a higher form of motivation. It gets more out of an athlete, which are those that are playing for a greater good, um, not out of fear that their coach is going to, you know, flash out of them later. And how much, how much, at least from a, from a, I mean, from a college from from any sort of institutional perspective, how much of that plays in from like the pressure that the coach is feeling, you know? Well, gosh, that's such a, such a great point because again, to come back to advocating for coaches, you know, the way I kind of, the, the way part three goes is it's like, you know, I have my own uh, composite letter I wrote to my coaches. And then as I was writing it and reading between the lines of these letters, I'm like, it wasn't my coach's hands that were tying my hands behind my back. It was the system that was tying both coaches and athletes hands behind their back. And what I mean by that is coaches are hired, retained and fired based on win loss records. And so there's that pressure of like, we have to win or I'm out of a job. And so we're not even putting them in a safe environment to make them feel like they can show up and approach success. They're already showing up with a fear of failure. If we fail, I fear I'm going to lose my job. 
And so then there oftentimes because of that, that leads to, okay, well, let me try to, you know, avoid the embarrassment of maybe losing my job. And then we oftentimes go to using more abusive tactics to scare athletes into performing. I have had coaches, I've had athletes tell me this and I've had coaches tell me this too. Like, uh, how would you feel? So if you don't perform, you're actually going to be taking food off the table for my daughter potentially. Right. Right. So that shame that coaches are building and the coach isn't technically wrong because if the players don't play well, then the coach could lose his job and it right. could take, you know, amenities away from the family. But how, how can we talk to NGB's sport on shifting that paradigm to where coaches aren't so pressured to like uh, basically win at all costs and that the cost is the well-being of both coaches and athletes. I think we pay our coaches too much, some of our coaches too much, and that becomes the issue. Um, I mean, when you look at the college football landscape, or like college basketball, like you see these guys that do terrible jobs and their buyout clause is like $10 million. So you're getting paid $10 million by a university you don't even work for anymore. You did a terrible job. You get this great contract because you coached at this, you know, a smaller school, then you make the jump to a bigger school, and then it's like, I get $10 million. It's like, well, now this is what I know I'm worth at least this much and I've accomplished X, Y, and Z. So now I command that pressure. You know, you bring that in. I think that's probably one of the major problems. For sure. In the subtext that we're writing, because we can't get away that we live in a capitalist culture, where money goes is what we value. Right. And so basically we're paying, like you said, the buyout is $10 million. So we're paying $10 million to a coach that, abused athletes and so the subtext we're writing because we're not going to say it right we're not going to say we're going to pay you 10 million dollars for completely mind screwing these athletes thank you yeah. so much have a great day we yeah. just don't want you to continue mind screwing them but here's 10 million dollars so you'll stop but the subtext we write is that we're actually going to invest in the fact like we're celebrating the fact that you did this which sounds so counterintuitive and universities would be like oh no that we're definitely not we're constantly writing a subtext at all times. And what that, in, in an example of this would be uh, from a infusing diversity, equity, and inclusion into coaching. You know, there was the murder of George Floyd this summer that was definitely kind of really shook up some things from a social unrest perspective, put racism on the, the spot. Well, what happens, not just when a black athlete walks in, but also a white athlete like myself who cares about social justice and cares about black lives, I walk into a, the practice right after like this blows up on social media and my coach doesn't say anything about it. We just go, go about it as business as normal. The subtext the coach writes is that that doesn't matter at all. Leave that at the door. And so really the subtext you're telling me is that you don't care about black lives. Thus you don't really care about my life either, even though I'm a white female. Right. And so we need to also talking about coaching education when you're talking about the psychosocial, that experience, these racist acts that are happening are going to influence not just black bodies. They're definitely going to you know, influence black bodies, but also other bodies that are seeing this uh, unrest and it's really bothering them. So that's in, we need to teach coaches how can they intervene at that psychosocial level to say, hey, I care about you as a human being, right? Like, let's talk about this. Um, and that's a hard conversation to have. And so for me, I do a lot. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion professor. I teach methods of coaching. I, a lot of my coaching education development I do with coaches is how can we infuse DEI into the conversation 
And first we got to start with what is your positionality as a coach? And so for me, let's say I'm the coach, I have a demographic questionnaire in front of me and I go check off all the boxes that society forces us into. So I'm a Caucasian female, uh, cisgender, heterosexual, you know, all these things. But then the next step is, okay, let's talk about the narratives we heard about those things growing up. I mean, I grew up in the state of Alabama. I feel like there's a lot of subtext that I can write just by saying <laughs> that one sentence. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I grew up with very much a racist narrative, a very much white supremacist. And I inherently knew as a kid that I didn't agree with that. I think there's a reason why I moved out of that state and I'm in Colorado. Um, but I had to have that hard conversation with myself. Of, gosh, like... I heard those narratives growing up. How might that be implicitly influencing the relationship I might have with particular athletes and being having that honesty, that coaching education with myself. So one of the things that we promote in coaching education is first intrapersonal relating. So going inward into ourselves and understanding who we are. And once we relate to ourselves better, we can then step two: interpersonal relationships relate to other people better. And then step three would be this very much, professional networking, that the energy that's trickling down through the system is this very positive, unconditional positive regard energy that actually raises the energy levels of the entire organization that leads to a higher level of optimal performance we haven't seen yet. So now that dear coach, the letters from your athlete has come out, what is the next thing you're working on? Because I, 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 I know what's what, but tell everybody out there. Because I'm very. This is going to be the the next one you're writing. I know Dwayne and I are going to uh, stand in line, uh, or stand in a virtual line, or whatever we need to do to get our hands on the next one. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is the confidence boost I need. Um, I, it is called Dear Sport Parents. Letters from your athletes. What I would always check have told you letters from your athletes. Very similar flavor to Dear Coach, uh, but again. Just like there is such a gap in the literature on having athletes' voices highlighted uh, to educate coaches, because a lot of what we see on the bookshelves are coaching coaches teaching coaches. There is nothing there. You can't go to a Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Amazon, and find a book written to sport parents that's educational in nature that starts the conversation, and especially from a what athletes need. So I could come in as an expert and be like, hey, here's some things that research says that athletes need. But to truly bring athletes to let's start this conversation. I think that that book, uh, my bias would be that that book would actually be way more of a hit than the Dear Coach one itself, because there's coaches that are like, we need to know how to deal with parents. Um, and and I, my heart breaks for parents because, again, we've done such a lousy job for them because they are such a vital component in that triangle of the coach athlete parent relationship. And we're right now we're kind of stumbling around trying our best. To th- how do we deal with parents? Right. And parents are stumbling around trying to feel like, how do I deal being a, you know, quote unquote sport parent uh, and parents are wearing so many different hats. And why do we not have this kind of niche that teaches them? Uh, so I, I started writing it, gosh, maybe a couple months ago, I'm in the data collection process now of getting letters from athletes to their parents. I don't necessarily have the artist in me. I, when I was speaking to my publisher, I very much argue against deadlines for things because nothing stifles a creative (laughs) project quite like a deadline. So I can't necessarily say when it's going to come out, uh, but it will be, you know, I, in my head, I'm like, you know, give myself, you know, another two, three years to just really give it the due diligence it needs. So that way I'm, 
calling parents into the conversation instead of calling them out per se. Uh, but yeah, to continue this, continue the conversation of bringing people in and parents are a very vital component of that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we've, we've seen it. I, I see it currently with some of my teams. I have the player that, that uh, naturally makes a comment about, you know, her parents on the sideline, but only to herself or her teammates. But the, once the game's over, it's hugs and kisses, like, oh my God, thank you so much for supporting me type of thing. But on the sideline, it's like, please stop talking. Like it, it's that in, it, but it's that fear, right? You, you, it's that fear of like, how do you confront the authority figure that you're again, not because you don't love them, but because they're just, again, they don't know any better, right? To a certain extent, they don't know any better, or it's the way that they grew up, right? It goes back to that point of like, how were you, how was your parent? How were you parented? Uh, and then this is ultimately how you ultimately parent, right? Um, 100%. Well, I want to just add one thing here to give a little nugget to parents and even coaches, because my master's thesis examined family communication patterns and how it influences athlete well-being. And there's two different types of family communication styles. There's conformity orientation, which is the parent says it's my way or the highway, basically conform to my way. And the subtext you're writing is conform to my way to validate my existence, to make me feel better about myself. And then there's conversation oriented communication of having bringing an athlete, hey, how are you feeling? You know, if an athlete asks a parent a question, it's, oh, why is the sky blue? Well, yay, great question. I would love to know why you think the sky is blue and then we can have a conversation about it. Um, So that's just a little kind of a sneak peek, right? Of we want more conversationally oriented parents of uh, instead of conformity of my way or the highway. And we often have sport parents that are conformity oriented, you know, uh, just like coaches are conformity oriented too, of do as I say, uh, and conform to my way instead of really having a conversation. So that's a little just snippet for parents that might be listening to this that are like, oh gosh. And and with that snippet, you know, I do a lot of developmental consulting on the side. And so people can definitely reach out and kind of dive deeper into all this research with me if they want to as well. Yeah. Well, and I think um, in, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen a lot of pretty much every single version of, of the, of the, this, you know, the, the parent, and we we get into this thing of like, and I think the this is where I think we're changing a bit, at least from what I can see on the soccer world, where it used to be this idea of like you drop your kid off at the in the parking lot. I don't want to see you or talk to you if you got something. Wait twenty four hours, send me an email, and maybe expect a response whether you like it or not. Now um, we're starting to see the idea of more of the open communication between the coach and the and the parent or the family member. Um, like I'm a big believer. I tell all my parents, like, you want to know what we're doing at practice? Tell me. Like, I, I was like, I, and I give almost give them the example of like, you want to sit next to me at practice? I don't really care. Like, come on. Like you can listen to every single thing I say. And I have a reason for every single thing that I say when I'm coaching, I might be right or I might be wrong, but I have a reason for why I'm saying it. Um, and it almost does the, the, the similar effect, right? The parents are like, oh, well, I mean, he seems confident. So I'm assuming he seems to be knowing what he's doing. So I'll just leave him alone. Um, and for the most part, it's worked out. Uh, so Sarah, before we wrap up, uh, where can people find a copy of your book? I know we are getting some copies of your book. Uh, one that we are going to have with us at the club that we will share with our coaches and one that we're going to do a giveaway uh, on the on the podcast. So the giveaway uh, is going to be 
the first person that uh, when Sarah gives us where she can, where people can get the book, but the first person that follows Sarah on social media on whatever social media account she gives us, um, then you got to obviously like our Delaware union uh, Facebook page or Instagram. And then you got to send us a comment uh, on one of our social media accounts and also Sarah's. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. So my Instagram is at doc. So D O C underscore Serdner. So S E R D N E R. Um, and I actually have, so the book is actually not available for public release just yet on Amazon. So if people are typing that into Amazon now, they'll see that in USA, June 22nd is the day it'll come out. If it's in the UK, then that's July 28th. Uh, but I do have, there's a Google doc link in my Instagram that you can click on and I have advanced reader copies that I'm selling. So you can get, you can get your hands on it before anybody else type of a thing. They're also signed as well. So signed author copies. Um, so you can find me there. I also have a Twitter with the same handle. So at doc underscore Serdner, uh, and then both Instagram and Twitter for at underscore dear coach, uh, just in case people are like, I don't want to, you know, follow um, me, but most of my stuff that I'll promote, uh, you know, I put a lot of educational deer coach content on my deer coach sites. Uh, and then I'll put up maybe some promotional, more promotional stuff on my personal, just cause I have more followers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So just letting, letting you all know the audience that you can order those advanced reader copies, both on my Twitter and Instagram account. I have those links on there and those advanced reader copies, AKA signed author copies will be even after Amazon does release the book and it becomes available in bookstores. If you're just a person that's like, oh, I would love a signed author copy, that will always be available for people to purchase that way. I have a signed copy uh, that I've had for a while. Get yourself a signed copy. Uh, totally yeah. worth it. Uh, make sure you basically it's personalized to you. So uh, why not, right? Yeah. Like why why not get yourself a signed copy? Uh, Dwayne's I think is on his phone right now trying to get himself a signed copy. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so make sure make sure you check out uh, Dear Coach. What I wish I would have, I, oh my goodness, I have to start again. Dear coach, what I wish I could have told you, letters from your athletes. Uh, Sarah, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Uh, you're talking about topics that uh, we need to talk about more uh, often. Um, so uh, thank you for starting that conversation or continuing the conversation. For sure. And if people want to continue the conversation, you know, beyond this podcast and talk about how to make it, you know, specific to them, you can still like on Instagram, send me a DM, even, you know, send me a message on, on Twitter to connect and, and talking about continuing that dialogue because that's what I'm really passionate about doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank you. All right. We're going to move on to the Champions League. Um, Dwayne, Champions League. What? Well, like? Is it the Champions League of the, like, do you think this is a Champions League where, like, it seems like it's going to be somewhat fun and exciting, but at the end of the day, it's really not? Like, it, we have two standout teams that'll just, unless they can knock each unless they end up knocking each other out next week or in the next round, we'll have basically two teams that are the, the, the front runners for this? I think you have your front runners, but I feel like this year is going to be, like, you're like a, I don't even know if you call it a dark horse because all these teams are really good, but a team that maybe hasn't had the success in Europe because they typically would have like a Manchester City could potentially, you know, 
have a good fight, make a good run to the final. I think that might be what we're looking at this year. I mean, but you saw, I mean, but city cities. I mean, yes, yeah, city has never had the the European success, but city's not a dark horse in this one. Like for me, Porto would be like, oh my god, Porto like beat Juve two one. Porto, Porto's had more success in Europe than. Oh city no, I, has. I I agree. I'm from a history perspective. I agree with you. I'm saying this year, like. Porto beating Juve is absolutely now granted Juve almost like you might as well just turn around Chesney might as well just turn around and just score on himself. Um, but but maybe I mean maybe Porto is the uh the outlier in this one or or good old good old Sevilla Dortmund like uh, either one of those two I think could you know obviously win the next game. Uh Holland is absolutely tearing it up. Everything everything Dortmund's saving from uh that they're not doing in the Bundesliga, they're doing in the Champions League. Right, I think you see that across a lot of teams that they're not except able. for City, except for City. City is just balling. They're like, oh, whatever, we can do it all. Pep, yeah, you got to rock with Pep Guardiola. That's right. Well, I mean, Pep said it. Let's, we spent a bunch of, we spent a lot of money on our players. We might as well, we might, we have to be good, right? Right. I mean, don't have what did Chelsea had like four hundred million dollars sitting on their bench the other day. Yeah, and you're you went off of a funky little. Uh, little weird i mean the, the juru's goal was awesome but it was a interesting take on the idea of a pass back on purpose or not on purpose whether it was offsides or not i'll tell you the hoodie i'm wearing they probably are not one of the champions this year no 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 psg i don't think is is going to i think pochettino's done a good job with them uh, but the problem is injuries, right? If Neymar can't come back, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. I hope he doesn't get fired because of this. Because sometimes no, you do see. I don't think so. Sometimes no. you do see that happen. No, I think he'll. I think he'll stay. I think he'll stay. I mean, he's you brought him in midway through the season. You got to give him at least one more year, like one full year, right? One full year transfer window and all that yeah. good stuff. All right. So a topic that we have talked about before as well has been the U.S. men's national team getting ready for their. 2021 year of like everything going on um so the men's national team uh announced their or the under 23 men's national team announced their um their olympic qualifying roster yeah um, a lot of a lot of names on this roster some guys you've never even heard of yep some guys you've heard of that are prevalent and uh i think that you know I think with, there's like 50 guys on this roster. Yeah. And I think, you know, you bring them in for competition and, you know, you let the best players battle it out. Like Caden Clark is up there. He's a really young player, but he's balling out for the Red Bulls. Conrad is on there. Conrad De La Fuente is on there. Now, um, do you do you think the fact that Mark McKenzie is not on here, is that a, is that a miss? Or is that just because... They see him beyond this level. I think if he stayed in Philadelphia, he may be on this list as like a leader. If he stayed with MLS, I think you. But Brendan, A- but Brendan Aronson is on there. But you look at the position. No, I, I yeah maybe the maybe, competition yeah. for places, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Is you look at the competition for places. You say, well, I've got Gio Reyna. Yeah. Christian Pulisic playing there. Yeah, uh, it's all right. Uh, Dwayne's on location this this week, uh, first time not recording from his house, so he's uh, he's he's starting to deal with with some other things. Um, but uh, the other standouts for me is Ulianes, 
who has played on the national team already uh, on the first team or, or the senior team, gotten some minutes there. Um, Sebastian Soto uh, on there as well, uh, which which would be pretty cool. Miles Robinson. So shout out to Coach Kyle for for Miles Robinson. He's that's one of his uh, one of his players that he's uh, very happy with. Aaron Trusty, I think, is an interesting one because he is from he was he was at the Union. And then the union sent them to Colorado. So now he's making this team, which I think is, or again, this list of 50 that'll ultimately get narrowed down to, I believe, 23, 24. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see Jeremy at Bobacy. Um, I know he's yeah. been with the national team. He's kind of been there, haven't been there. You got to score goals and be the number nine, right? So I hope this is a way to boost him into being that star forward. Um, Jonathan Klinsman, his dad was the yep. manager Matt, of the U.S. national team. Matt Freeze, who's from the Philadelphia Union as well. Uh, he's a backup goalkeeper uh, for the Philadelphia Union. So Ryan uh, Reynolds. Yeah. Remember I looked at that back in like December. He didn't yeah. go to Juventus. He went to Roma, but Brian yeah. Reynolds. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of players on here that I think uh, could could to do some, some really good things. Um, so I'm looking forward to potentially, um, you know, what that team could do. Uh, that's so the, they watch they're, they're, they're playing March 18th through the 30th. That's the Olympic qualifying, uh, schedule. Um, so, so looking forward to seeing how they do. All right. Uh, player of the match. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to give my player of the match, uh, as much as, um, it was difficult uh, my player of the match is going to go to the the Argentinian women's national team uh, because uh, having not played for 15 months, actually, you know, considering all the physical limitations, uh, some COVID issues as they got into the U.S. and Orlando, uh, they were able to still be competitive. Um, you know, lost to Canada in the last minute of the game. Um, played a good good first half against Brazil, uh, and for the for the most part played a good second half against the U.S. until, like, the floodgate opened in the last, like, 10 minutes. So uh, I was very happy with with the performance for, for the Argentinian national team playing against quality, quality competition. So very, very excited for that. Dwayne? Uh, my player of the match isn't really a player. It's a referee. Um, give it to Oscar Macias. Um He's the referee in the Mexican League, um, Liga Equis, um, and he stopped a goal for uh, during the Cruz Azul Toluca game. I saw this. So oh. he was in the middle of the box. Yep. Uh, players taking a shot, and it goes off of him. And the game was tied at two-two. Yeah. He stopped it. So he's my player of the match for. Uh, I don't know if he had money on the game or if he was the ball hits the post, it rebounds back to the player, the player hits it again, it hits the referee, and then it deflects out. Um now he did the right thing. He gave an indirect free kick for the team that had kicked the ball, but it was the oh man. But again, it's the same idea. Like, what if a bird flies and hits the you know, hits the ball like and you miss? Like, what are you gonna do? Blame the bird? It, um, it didn't. He, he stuck his leg out there, man. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't like because what referee? I mean, you go to the referee classes. I mean, maybe we should have Jeff Cameron on, but I feel like you should not be in the 18. I feel like you should be on the edge of the 18, watching what goes on. This guy he wanted is to like, make sure he wanted to make sure he was in there. He wanted to make sure he saw it. 
goal, he was he, technology. Yeah, he was he was the goal line technology for it. Uh, just, <laughs> That's funny. I, I don't know if I if that happens during one of my games. I don't. I think I end up calling you, Sebastian, and say, "Hey, Sebastian, I got sent off again." Because <laughs> I would absolutely lose it. Oh man, that's yeah, that's funny. Um, all right, so we're gonna move on to on this day in soccer history. Uh, so we're we're going South America on this one because uh, you know no, there's no disguising the fact that I'm a, a huge Boca Juniors fan. Uh, in 1983, a couple years before I was born, um, Boca played uh, River uh, on February 26th. And this is one of the, because in South America, now it's the summer. So usually there's a summer tournament that goes on. So uh, they played River, uh, obviously the big rivals, um, on the summer tournament. But this is the first time in history that Boca Juniors uh, debuted a jersey with a sponsor on it. So 1983 was the uh, the, the first year that they, they had a sponsor. It was a... It was a uh, wine, uh, wine. It was a wine. So it was a uh, Vinos Maravilla. Um, so marvelous wines. Um, so yeah, now uh, Boca's gone to have many, many different sponsors. Uh, Parma, um, Quilmes, which is a beer. Fiat, uh, the car, the car company. Uh, and now I believe our sponsor is uh, Fly Emirates uh, or something like that. Um, so you guys are flying good. You guys are flying first class and nice aircraft, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. It's either Fly Emirates or Air Qatar, one of the one of the two. I forget which one. It nice, is. nice airlines. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. First You're class. Not flying there. Spirit. <laughs> not flying Frontier from Delaware to Orlando. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should be sponsored by Frontier. Would you get on the plane if we were sponsored by Frontier? Absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, all right. So um, before we wrap up, obviously, always have to give out the Fair Play of the Week award. Um, my Fair Play of the Week this week is going to go out to Atletico Madrid uh, because they had to put up 200 million euros of their own or 200,000 euros of their own money to be able to play in Bucharest uh, against Chelsea because uh, they... Uh, Spain does not allow flights from England into the country. Uh, so they had to go put up their own money. So to be able to play a Champions League game, which then again, they won and lost. So um, interesting organizational standpoint, the fact that like uh, you would figure that you maybe could adjust the draw to not have to draw, a, you know, a Spain and British team. So that way, you know, that, that could work, but. Well, yeah. it's, Definitely interesting to the fact that you spent all that money to go lose. Well, I think that, and then the, the next game is also played there, the same stadium. So, do we play like? So, I guess the question is: the other team is just home. The other time, it's a Chelsea. Do we because. have to pay again to use the stadium? Or do we gotta, have to pay, or they pay? Gotta, they, gotta, us, they should have to pay. Got to pay that rental fee, man. I would put all the pressure on Chelsea and say they're up two nothing or whatever the aggregate is. They're up one so nothing. Yeah. One nothing. So if they want to go through. They got to pay to use the stadium. <laughs> We're content with it. Got to chip in. Or at least split it, right? Like you split the referee cost, you would think. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you think? Do you think uh, Simeone 
is uh is walking out there with an envelope before the game, giving it to the referee before the check-in. <laughs> would be interesting. I think there would be a lot more controversy. I always I always wondered how it was that uh the referees got paid in the international level. Um I mean, we had a we had a referee on a podcast and we never asked him that question. We should have well yeah, that's a good question because I wonder I, I bet it varies from country to country. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like what's the like what's the standard? What what's the rate and what currency is it in? Right. Do you walk in and there's just an envelope of cash one day? Is it American dollars? Like what is the set like is FIFA set a rate and what's the currency involved? Bitcoin, you get pay, paid in Bitcoin. Hey, better take that money out quick. <laughs> uh all right. Uh who's your fair play of the week? A fair player of the week is it's locally, it's Delaware. Um Chris Trinnell uh from Christ the Teacher School. Uh we're gonna give a big shout out to him. Um big advocate for getting kids on his middle school team to come to Delaware Union to play uh, soccer in the spring and the winter and just to be able to play year round. So I want to give a big shout out to him. Sent an email out last night to all of his guys on his team. You know, we've been having discussions back and forth. He wants his guys to be able to play and get coaching and then also come back and have fun with their friends as well. Good. So I just want to give a big shout out to him. Big advocate and uh, very appreciative. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Uh, so yeah, big shout out to them and big shout out to Christ the teacher, uh, which a lot of our kids go to. So um, absolutely. Uh, so before we leave, make sure again, you check out facebook.com slash Delaware union on Instagram at Delaware union soccer. Uh, remember follow Sarah Edner um, on, on Instagram and Twitter. And it was doc uh, Sedner Sedner. Doc underscore Sedner. Yeah, Doc underscore Sedner um, or Dear Coach. Make sure you like their page. Make sure you comment on um, on the post that we're going to make it. You know, on the on the Facebook post or Instagram post of the podcast for this for this week uh, for your chance to win a signed copy of Dear Coach, uh, which we will get and get out to you. So, all right. Thanks for joining us this week, and remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. Thank you.